We have been going through uh, the book of Romans, line by line, line by line, and line by line. Uh, so this week, we are up to uh, chapter 11 in our series. We're on the 20th episode. Praise God. Make sure I don't hit the wrong button. Romans chapter 11. Aha. Verse 1. I say then, this is an interesting phrase that Paul uses, I say then, I say. He's not having a British accent here. He's not saying, I say. You gads, man. He's saying, and just so you know, this is today's trivia question. The phrase, I say, in Greek, wait for it, is Lego. Next time you go to Legoland and you go walking in, you can say, I say. And there you have it, Lego, I say. So he's asking a question here. Has God cast away his people? Which people? The Jewish people. And what does he say? Certainly not. No, God has not cast away the Jewish people. They're still part of his plan. And how does he know that? Because he says, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. That's how he knows God's not done with the Jewish people yet. Because he's Jewish. How many know Jesus was Jewish? Jesus was not a Caucasian guy from Europe. He was <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> Praise God. So that's, he says, when he says certainly not, he literally is saying by no means. What he's asking is there was an argument or a, uh, a question. You know, has God cast away his people? In other words, is God to blame for them not believing in Jesus? Interesting thing about the tribe of Benjamin, after Solomon the king died, Rehoboam became the king, there was a rebellion and the kingdom split. There was Judah, and the tribe of Benjamin stayed faithful with Judah. The other ones went and worshipped God who knows where, and had all kinds of problems. After the Babylonian captivity, the Benjamites were one of the few Israelite tribes to return with Ezra to Israel. They remained faithful. So he's asking this question, has God cast away his people? And the thought was that Rejection was total and final. There was no relenting of it. And so he's countering that thought. No, it's not total. It's not final. It's not complete. God has not completely set aside his plans and purposes for the Jewish people. In in, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, this is after the Exodus. They're out in the wilderness. And God speaks to Moses and says, The Lord did not set his love on you, or the Jewish people, the Israelites, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other peoples, for you were the least of all peoples. 
But in verse 6, he says something very interesting. And you can take this to the bank, as they say, and apply it to yourself. For you are a holy people. Say it with me. I am a holy people. I am a holy people. Say it like you mean it. I am a holy people. You've been made holy. Set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, it says that God talks about the people of Israel. They are a peculiar treasure to him. Guess what happens in Exodus chapter 20, right after God pronounces that you guys are a peculiar people, a peculiar treasure. Right after that, in chapter 20, they get the Ten Commandments. That makes them even more peculiar and more set aside. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. And Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 18, it says again, God tells the people to be a peculiar people, to be His peculiar people. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, for the New Testament believers, God says, speaking through Paul's writing, you are a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what should make us peculiar, being zealous of good works. In second in first Peter chapter two verse nine it says, You are a holy nation, a peculiar people. In the Old Testament, the uh the um according to Strong's dictionary, the uh the peculiar treasure was something special, kind of like a jewel, kind of something that was uh considered wealth. In some parts of the world, your wealth is measured in how many cows you have how much land you have. Here in America, your wealth is measured by your net worth, how much you owe compared to how much you own. But in the New Testament, this is very interesting to me, that being peculiar means that you are beyond usual. How many know that as people of God and as believers in Jesus, we're supposed to be beyond usual? usual. We're not supposed to be status quo. We're not supposed to be the same as the world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be beyond the usual, far more exceeding. In other words, when you tell somebody that you believe in Jesus, they should see something different in your life. You don't even have to tell them sometimes. Sometimes your reputation precedes you because of how you live. But in verse 2, he says, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. In chapter 8, Paul addresses this particular phrase, the foreknowledge and and foreordaining of God. And he specifically indicates that it's not that God chooses some people Uh, to be saved and others not to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Can you say amen? God wants everyone to be saved. When it talks about being foreknown by God, it's talking about the purposes of God to the winning of souls and for people getting set free from sin and transgression. Because sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. I told somebody the other day, I don't remember what the context was, but I, I told him, you know, the, the Scripture says 
God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. You, you cause problems, you'll get problems back. You sow trouble, you'll get trouble back. But if you sow good things, you'll get good things back. And then he goes on to say, or do you not know? In other words, read your Bible. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Isn't that amazing? Here's a prophet of God, a man of God, and he pleads with God against Israel. And he says, Lord, they killed your prophets. Turn down your altars. There should only have been one altar anyway. And I alone am left. It's only me. God, no one wants to serve you. Just me. Boo-hoo-hoo. Poor lonesome me. And they seek my life. They're going to kill me. So, calm down, Elijah. Because in verse 4, God answers him. What does the divine response say to him? God answers him and says, listen, you're wrong. Anybody ever have God tell you, you're wrong? You should be listening. Sometimes God's always right. Not sometimes, but God's always right. Sometimes we're wrong. <laughs> so we should pay attention. The divine response, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. If you know the whole story, the prophets of Baal are out there. They're going to have a contest. Baal was supposed to answer by fire. He was the god of fire. And they're jumping around. They're even cutting themselves. And, and Elijah's making fun of them. He's, oh, maybe he's going to the bathroom, you know. Maybe he went on vacation, your god. And Baal does not answer. And then Elijah prays. And God of Israel answers by fire. And God's fire not only burns the sacrifice, it burns the rocks up, too. That's power. I don't know about you, but it takes quite a bit for rocks to melt and burn up and just evaporate and vaporize. And God answers by fire. And the people of Israel, they say, oh, God is God. We're going to serve God. And, of course, they <laughs> serve God for a while, and then they fall away again. But Elijah says, I have been very zealous. This is in uh, chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Anybody ever feel lonely, like you're the only one at work who's serving God? I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing a little bit of her testimony. But she had this woman at work before she got saved back in California that was born again. And Kathy and her friends would come in and say, hey, guess what we did over the weekend? And they said, oh, we partied. And they tried to, you know, needle this woman. And one day Kathy come in to work and she says, Artis. Guess what I did this weekend? And Artis says, What, Kathy? So I got saved. Praise God! She grabbed Kathy by the hand and she ran out into the hallway and started telling all the other Christians. And Kathy didn't even know there were so many Christians at work. Kathy got saved. Kathy got saved. And she said, Somebody said, Oh, so you're one of them now. And she had to make a stand and say, Yes, I am. I'm one of them. Before I got saved, or actually when I first got saved, I had a friend from New York that was going to the U of A out here, and she told me, oh, are you still hanging around with those Christians? I said, well, uh, yeah, guess what? I am a Christian too. Guess what? I'm not just hanging around with those Christians. I'm part of that. 
Praise God. So, God says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God is able to do anything. In the book of Revelations, chapter 7, verse 4, it says that there are 144,000 servants of God who are sealed. God sets them apart. God set us apart when we received Jesus. Even so, verse 5, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So here's an interesting phrase, the election of grace. What does that mean? Well, I voted in favor, so you're elected. The election of grace, it talks about what it means is choosing Jesus, saying yes to Jesus. Praise God. According to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, the rejection of Christ by Israel is not so appalling in extent as one would be apt to think. It's not that the Gentiles are now in place of the Jews, but a choice of some of the Israelites to believe and be saved. Some of them are saved. Some have elected to receive grace. Some Jewish people believe Jesus is the Messiah. Um, I was listening to a, a recorded radio broadcast from 1990-something by Derek Prince. He uh, lived many years in uh, Israel, and uh, he's a British uh, citizen, and he uh, was a, a radio teacher, and he uh, made this funny statement because he, in Israel he was winning Jewish people to Jesus. And he said, God is sneaking up on the Jews. <laughs> Some of them are getting saved. I thought, that's a great saying. God is sneaking up. Anybody ever have God sneak up on you? <laughs> Praise God. God. It's not that he's sneaky in a sinister way. It's just like, I, I, I get the picture in my mind. God, I mean, I'm going, surprise! <laughs> and it's a good thing. Can you say amen? Praise God. And verse 6, it says, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Some uh, older manuscripts eliminate this part of the, uh, uh, the verse because it's uh, redundant. But that's okay. Paul repeats himself quite a bit. Quite a bit. So, salvation is by grace. By grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift. Praise God. Thank God that we got and received that gift. We opened the wrapping and opened it up and received it. What good does a gift do if it sits on the shelf in the wrapper all the time? You can't enjoy it. Open it up, you receive it, make it a part of yourself, and glory to God. There's only two ways to get saved. One of them doesn't work. By works or by grace. Works is man's performance. If I read my Bible enough, I'm saved. If I pray enough, I'm saved. If I witness enough to people, I'm saved. No, those are byproducts of being saved. The bottom line is, God loves us and just simply wants us to love Him back. He can't you know, you can't have two loves. and doesn't work very well. 
But God can love everyone individually. Thank God that God is God. Can you say amen? In Philippians, this is an interesting thing. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, and this is the uh, <coughs> Joseph Coble uh, paraphrase, now that I'm no longer there instructing you, he uses this interesting phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Somebody named St. Bernard, I don't know anything about him other than they named a dog after him, says that grace is inactive without our will. In other words, God is looking for us to cooperate with Him. That's what the phrase, working out your own salvation, because God's working. You get ideas in your mind, it's from God. And how do you know? If it lines up with the Scripture, then you know. Witness, the devil will never tell you to go witness and tell somebody about Jesus. The devil will not tell you to tithe. The devil will not tell you to read your Bible. The Holy Spirit of God will say those things to you. Can you say amen? So, next. What then? Here's another one of Paul's redundant sayings. What then? He says that quite a bit in his writings. What then? Or what are the facts? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What did it seek? What were the Israelites seeking? To be right with God. To have a relationship with God. But it didn't get it because it's not attained by works. It's attained by faith. In Romans chapter 10, the previous chapter, it says they, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Their own righteousness. This uh, word justification by faith. They were seeking to justify themselves before God. Jesus said that two men went up to pray, one a Pharisee, and he stood there and said, God, I thank you I'm not like this sinner here. What an arrogant attitude. Can you imagine? Oh, we don't do that. We drive down the street and there's a homeless guy. Man, ah, what a bum. Why didn't get a job? Oh, we, we get that way sometimes. Can you say amen or ouch? Praise God. So the, the one fellow justified himself. The other one said, God, have mercy on me. That should be our attitude. Have mercy on me because you can have your confidence in God because he is full of mercy, gracious, and ready to forgive. Praise God. So they did not obtain what it, they were seeking, which is justification. But the elect, those who did receive Jesus, have obtained it. Justification, righteousness by faith is it. And the rest were blinded. Just as it is written. This is from um, Isaiah. Chapter 29, verse 10. God has given them a spirit of stupor. And then the other part, eyes that has, should not see and ears that they should not hear is from Deuteronomy. Chapter 29, verses 3 and 4. And it goes on, David, in the psalm, Psalm 69, which is a messianic psalm, verses 22 and 23, David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them, lest their eyes be darkened, 
so that they do not seem bowed down their back always. This is what happens when people reject Jesus. It's a stumbling block to them. And they, he's telling them, Paul is writing and quoting this because he's saying, this is the result of unbelief. And this is the proof that this unbelief has happened to them and their eyes are blinded because they chose not to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And here's the proof from your own scriptures. Got to remember to point this thing at the right thing then. So, we'll go on to chapter 11 and verse 11. And Paul says, I say then, here's that phrase again, Lego, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? And here's this other phrase again, certainly not. No, emphatically no. God, in other words, according to Matthew's Henry, Henry's commentary, the question that he's addressing here is, did God have no other purpose in rejecting them? Did God want to destroy the Israelites by rejecting them? No. The fall, according to Finnis Dake's commentary, the fall of the Jews was not the reason for the salvation of the Gentiles. In other words, God did not reject the Israelites to the exclusiveness of the Gentiles. How many of you are Gentiles in here this morning? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's the bottom line. That's the dividing. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. So Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, verse 46, this is their first missionary journey. They head north into Galatia, uh, modern-day Turkey. And they go to the town of Antioch in Pisidia. And the whole city turns out to hear them the next Sabbath. And the Jewish people get upset. They get jealous. And they say, hey, they get mad. And what does Paul and Barnabas tell them? They said, you know what? If you don't think you guys are worthy of eternal life, we'll go and tell people who are. And Paul the Apostle was specifically called to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. As a result, he wrote most of the New Testament. But here's an interesting saying in John chapter 4, verse 22. Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, she gets into a theological uh, debate, and uh, she wants to know, hey, you know, you Jewish people say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we've got a thing here in Samaria. And Jesus tells her this interesting thing. She said, he tells her, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Really? I thought we were worshiping God. No, you don't know what you're worshiping. And the interesting thing that he tells them is, salvation is of the Jews. I told that to a, a, a young man one time who was out passing out flyers, invite people to some event at church, and he says, oh, I'm Jewish. I said, that's fine. Did you know the Bible says that salvation is of the Jews? I didn't know that. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read it. God will speak to you. Mr. Smith Wigglesworth, the famous evangelist of days gone by, said that's all he ever read was the Bible. He didn't read any commentaries, didn't even read the news. Just read the Bible. You can get a lot out of it. But 
So why did they choose not to believe? I'm not sure, but out of that decision, something good came. The gospel was made available to anyone who's not Jewish also. So what does that mean for us? The nation of Israel is really small. The rest of the world's really big. So more people can get saved. It's, and it's, he talks about it in the, in the, the following chapters is that there's no longer a division in God's eyes. You're either saved or you're not saved. That's the only division. Praise God. And uh, it goes on to say, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Through their fall or their disbelief, God is trying to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy by saving the Gentiles. If their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, and there's another one of Paul's famous sayings, how much more their fullness. When Jewish people start getting saved, how much more the blessing of God will be evident upon the face of the earth. Romans chapter 5, at least five times Paul uses that phrase, how much more. In other words, there's going to be, you know, salvation of the is from the Jews. How much more when they get saved it's going to be a blessing upon the whole earth. Praise God. So he goes on to say, I speak to you Gentiles, because he is the apostle to the Gentiles, magnify my ministry, his office. He's not really boasting that, you know, I'm, I'm this great man of God. He's saying that God has opened something up for him and is using him to touch lives and hearts. And by any means he might provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, fellow Israelites, and save some of them. Paul was in the business of saving souls. That's what his business was. In this church, we're in the business of saving souls, building them up, and making you useful in the kingdom of God. And Paul's trying to get the Israelite people to share in uh, verse 12 the riches for the world. Here's an interesting comment by Matthew Henry. The blessings from God are not watered down by the multitude of the sharers. How many know when you buy uh, company stock. Uh, you buy a part of the company. And then uh, the problem is if the company has too many shares, the value is diluted. It's like getting a big tub of water and you take a drop of red dye and you drop it in there and you can't see it. It hasn't, it's lost its impact and value. But in the kingdom of God, the blessing of God is not diluted by sharing it, it's increased. You try witnessing to somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus. You will feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. You'll feel God. 
God will bring scriptures to your remembrance when you start telling people about Jesus. Tell them what Jesus did in your life. He set me free from alcohol and drugs and, and immorality. And he blessed my life. It's not perfect. We have struggles. But God has changed my life. In Galatians it says there's only one thing that matters. Not circumcision or uncircumcision. Not Jew or Gentile. The only thing that really matters in the kingdom of God is when God touched your life, have it, it changed. Do you have a changed life? That's what repentance is. You're going one way and you turn around and you go a different way. Praise God. So, God is in the business, and Paul the Apostle is in the business of saving people. We want to share the love of God with people so that they can have a relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say, if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Our whole belief system, if you would call it that, is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. Everybody's just going to go into the grave, and that's it. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we have hope of eternal life. We have assurance of eternal life that we're going to raise from the dead, and we're going to get glorified bodies, no more sickness, no more pain. Praise God. I can hardly wait. I already got quite a few and aches and pains and... <laughs> I need glasses to see. It would be wonderful to be perfect and whole. Praise God. No more mental anguish. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? No more problems. Because Jesus rose from the dead. When one of my uncles passed away, I wrote a letter to my aunt and I told her, you know, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. And she wrote back. She says, thank you. Yes. See you later. I agree 100%. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. And life from the dead. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This first fruit and holy lumps, Paul's referring to Jewish uh, first fruit offerings after the harvest. And if it, the first fruit is holy, then the rest of it's holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Jesus said in uh, John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Here he's, Paul uses the illustration of an olive tree. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The root, by the way, is Jesus, but it's also Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the root. Jesus is called the root of Jesse also. So the root is holy. So are the branches. Who's the branches? You and I, we're the branches. Praise God. And if some of the branches were broken off, how many know dead branches are easy to break off? You, it's hard to cut them with the cutters. With a saw you can do it, but you can easily break them off. Some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. Say with me, I am a wild olive. You know why? Because we're all born into sin and we all have a wild nature before we get saved. Can you say amen? 
no matter how good you think you might have been before you got saved. We had wild nature before we got saved. And we're grafted in among them. Anybody ever graft anything? I've seen it done and seen pictures of it, but I've never tried it. I have a little lemon tree. It's about 20 years old and it's still only this big because it half died. But the reason that it half died is because uh, uh, I didn't water it a lot, (laughs) for one thing. (laughs) But that root of that lemon tree is not the same as the branch. And I was told when it was given to me and I planted it, don't let anything grow below this spot. Because you can see where the branch was put in to the root. Because the root on that lemon tree is disease resistant. But the branch is not. So if I would have had a tree from the lemon that grows on the branch, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. It would have died. But because that root is healthy and strong, the branch grows on and every so often gets flowers. That's about it. Praise God. But we've been grafted in among the Israelites, and with them we are become partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. This word fatness means richness, means blessing. Praise God. Hallelujah. We have entered into a covenant with God because of the grace of God. He's extended to us His grace, His blessing, and we, because we received Jesus, have been grafted in and are now partakers. But Paul goes on to warn them. But do not boast against the branches. If you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Most trees, you see, we have quite a few large eucalyptus trees here in the Tucson area. Largest one is down on St. Mary's, right by the riverbed. Somebody told me, and I've seen this because I had to work on a house that had a eucalyptus tree in the two yards over, and that eucalyptus tree had roots in the yard that I was working in. Most trees have about the same amount of wood under the ground as roots as there is above the ground. That's why the roots get into sewer lines and stuff, because they're seeking water constantly. Someone even told me that they've found roots of mesquite trees uh, three and four hundred and more feet down inside of mines because they follow where the water goes. <clears throat> so the root is great, the root is strong, but be careful that you don't get arrogant. Don't boast against the branches. When a branch is cut off, it's useless. The same as when a when you're not part of when a Christian claims to be a Christian, they're not part of a body of believers, and they're separated, they're not as effective and useful as when they're part of a group. There's strength in numbers. The grace of God should make us thankful. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? The grace of God should make us thankful. Thank God. I thank God that I got saved. I thank God that I have help. I thank God that when I stumble, I can get back up. I thank God that there's forgiveness with God. You're never too far gone. God is willing to forgive anything and everything except for not receiving Jesus. You reject Jesus, well, 
Kind of hard for God to overlook that. Can you say amen? Anyway, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Say it with me. I stand by faith. I stand by faith. Trusting in God. Do not be haughty or high-minded, but fear or respect God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Maintain your relationship with God. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The prophet says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. A lot of times you have to just trust God. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on. But I do know that I'm supposed to be going this way, and I know I'm supposed to be doing this. So whatever problems come along, whatever hardships there might be, God opens an effectual door. There's adversaries, there's opposition, but you know where you're supposed to be going. Keep going. God is on the move. God will help you. God will open, pray and ask God, open my eyes, show me if I'm supposed to do this or that. Because we're serving God. God has the right to tell us what to do. Can you say amen? We live by faith. Last but not least, they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. Who's they? The Israelites. If they'll get rid of their unbelief, They'll read Isaiah chapter 53 and believe who it's talking about. They can get saved. They could be regrafted in. God is able to graft them in again. God can do anything. God is awesome. But what does it say there? Let's back up just a minute. The rest of this. If God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider, think about the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness. If, here's that little word that means so much, if you continue in His goodness, otherwise you also will bow. If. What's our responsibility? Continue in His goodness. God is not far from us. In the book of Acts, Paul preaches and he says, in Him we move and live and breathe and have our being. God is everywhere. It's kind of hard for us to understand, but God is everywhere. It's kind of hard to run from God too. But some people do it. But we're called to continue in His goodness because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be cut off. If you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted against nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? They also. Where did it go? Verse 23. They also. Who also? The nation of Israel. 
This is a prophetic utterance of the end time, of things that are happening today. This is a prophetic utterance because Israel was destroyed as a nation. Paul lived at the time right after Christ died and rose again from the dead. In A.D. 70, the Romans came in and totally destroyed the place and scattered the Israelites all over the world. But he prophetically speaking here, they also, the nation of Israel, can you imagine what the world would be like if all of Israel turned to Jesus and received him as their Savior? Talk about Genesis. God tells Abram, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says, the blessing will chase you down, will overtake you, and will spread out from you. I don't know about you, but I want the blessing, the presence of God to chase me down. Like that song we sing, like a hurricane, you chase me down. God, I want you to chase me down. Chase me down. Overtake me. And just let the blessing spread out from me. That should be our prayer. Can you say amen? Let the blessing of God chase us down, overtake us, and spread out from us. If all of Israel got saved, the blessing of God would spread out from among them. Even today, there is so much innovation in metal and science uh, uh, technology going on in Israel. They're leaders in that nation of medical and technological devices and information technology. World leaders. It's amazing. It's because the blessing of God is chasing them down and it's spreading out from them. It's overtaking them. If all Israel got saved, what a world we would have. Praise God. Jesus said that this gospel shall be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. It's coming. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. It's coming. Oh, praise God. That's about all I got for today. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and close in prayer this morning.